once again, CIAC Cast fans, and welcome to another edition of the CIAC Cast, our podcast looking at the world of Connecticut high school sports. It has been a while since we've been with you, and that's because it has been a busy championship season. But uh, this past weekend, we wrapped it all up with championships at Mohegan Sun in boys and girls basketball, boys ice hockey at Ingalls Rink, and boys swimming at Yale Kiphuth Pool. So we're going to recap all of those championships coming up on this edition of the CIAC cast. I'm going to waste very little of your time with my general introduction and nonsense. Instead, we're going to get right to our guests in just a few minutes here. We're going to talk to Lori Riley of the Hartford Current on a little girls basketball. We're going to talk Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American about some basketball championships. Don Boyle, who we always like to check in with, who is on hand at Ingalls Rink, is going to talk some hockey for us. Joe Morelli with a little more basketball. And then Dave Rudin as well is going to hit on some basketball and some hockey. So we've got a full slate of guests coming up for you to talk a little bit about the championships, dive into some of the stories, some of the games, some of the information. So we hope you will enjoy this edition of the CIAC cast. Really happy to and excited to get a chance to chat with all of these folks. So we're going to, as I said, I'm going to waste very little of your time. But before we get to our guests and to things you might have missed, as always, I'd like to bring to you our Message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation and Connecticut Highway Safety. Look, we talk about this every time here on the CIAC cast. I know it's tempting. You're sitting in the car. You get to hear that ping. You know you've got a text message. You know you've got an email. You think to yourself, oh, no, I can just I can quickly take a look at it just this one time. I'll just take a quick look at the phone. No, that's not a good idea. It is a terrible idea. Sending or receiving a text takes the driver's eyes from the road for an average of four point six seconds okay so 4.6 seconds even if you think that's very little time driving at 55 miles per hour that's the equivalent of traveling the length of an entire football field blind please do not text and drive or drive distracted and encourage your friends and family to park the phone when they are behind the wheel as well one text or call could wreck it all so just press play you get your get in the car you see you've got a new episode of the ciac cast of course because you subscribe on itunes as everyone should you can check it out there you see you've got a new edition of the ciac cast just press play and then put your phone park it away you don't need to check it you don't need to check your text messages friend in our uh, one of our co-workers here in the office stephanie ford she always likes to say you know what you're just not that important you're not that important. There's nothing that important coming through on your phone that you can't just wait a few minutes until you get where you're going and check and see who's emailing, who's texting you, okay? So that's uh, the message from our friends at the Department of Transportation. Let's quickly take a look at things you might have missed on CICsports.com. And most of that, as we're going to talk about here on the podcast, is championship-related. Lots of good stuff covering the CIAC Winter Championship, so we hope you will check that out. We've got a linked-up Winter Championship Edition, 36 championship stories included in that of from all all of the winter championships. So you are you're a fan of indoor track and field, you're a fan of gymnastics, you're a fan of wrestling, you're a fan of hockey, whatever it might be. We've got the stories from the local media outlets for all of those championships. So you can check that out as well. Uh, we've got the 2016 Winter Championship Weekend Headquarters. Just this past weekend, we have stories, stats, on-demand video for uh, pictures as well for all of the championships 
that took place this weekend. Really hope you'll check that out. Got some great uh, folks to cover events for us and write some great game stories, some good photos from our friends at Max Preps as well. You can check all of that out. Live stats, well, they're not live anymore. Now they're just final stats, but you can take a look, see how your favorite player did. Hope you'll check that out as well. You can also download the CIC Basketball and Ice Hockey Championship program. Maybe your team uh, was fortunate enough to come away with a CIC championship this weekend. You want to be able to print out the program, have it as a keepsake. That is available on CICsports.com. Also on CICsports.com right now, our second annual Battle of the Fans winner went to Cheshire High School uh, here at, here nearby the CIC offices, so you can check out their story. Uh, very, very excited about that, and we hope we'll get even more. So see what Cheshire was able to do uh, this year in order to earn that Battle of the Fans trophy and maybe you can start thinking about what your, you or your school are going to do next year to try to challenge the Cheshire Rams as the, uh, as the now defending champions of the Battle of the Fans. So that's all on CICsports.com. And guess what? We already are starting to look ahead to the spring. Spring practices have begun. You can find your f- team's uh, schedule. You can find rosters, all kinds of good stuff already if you're ready to start looking ahead to the spring. Feels like maybe a little bit of spring weather out there today. We hope you will check that out as well. So that's things you might have missed on CICsports.com. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at CICsports, CICsports.com. Go to Tournament Central on CICsports.com. That's got lots of good information. You can also email the CICcast. Our email address is CIACcast at CACIAC.com. O-R-G. So that's a lot of information for you. Also, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash CIC Sports. Lots of good places to check us out, check out information on CIC Sports. And I've already rambled much longer than I said I would. Let's quickly get to our guests now. They are going to do most of the talking this week, I think. We're going to let them talk about the championships and what they saw, what they observed, and a very, very busy and fun weekend of CIC championship action. We're going to start things off with our friend from the Hartford Current, Lori Riley, to talk a little girls basketball. Very happy to be joined by Lori Riley of the Hartford Current, who was uh, taking up residency at the Mohegan Sun over this past weekend, covering all four girls basketball state championship games for the Current. So, Lori, thank you for uh, for joining us to talk a little hoops today. Sure, thank you. So let's get started uh, with the, the Class L game, which is what wrapped up the uh, the girls championships. Obviously, you're very familiar with uh, with Capital Prep, which was pushed. Uh, Pushed a bit by New London in that L championship, but ultimately able to come away with the win and uh, and earn a fourth straight um, girls basketball championship. Something that's only been done uh, a few a handful of times in a Connecticut history. So sort of start there and and talk first of all what you thought were kind of the keys to that game, but also sort of your perspective on this you know impressive run that Capital Prep is on and kind of what's been the you know, what's been the driving force uh, for the success that the team has had over the past few years? Um, well, I'll start with the game first. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought that New London's, obviously their post players, um, posed some difficulty for capital prep, um, especially uh, Elmore, who, you know, kind of struggled to, to score mm-hmm. um, against Osborne and um, Pagan. Um, I think she was four for 18 or something like that, which is not a normal Desiree Elmore game. Right. Um, obviously, their guards, who I think probably have kind of gone under the radar maybe a little bit, you know, just because Elmore has, you know, gets all the the press and the publicity. 
obviously they took over and you know when the other team is so much focused on stopping her and stopping um Angelique Rodriguez which is obviously what New London was doing um you know the you know somebody else has got to do something and and obviously these guards are very capable um it was Ann Morgan and uh, Najee White who's only a sophomore uh you know both had 15 and 14 points so they um they'll be back next year mm-hmm. um so that and obviously uh Rodriguez will be back next year too she's only a junior so i you know i mean Elmore is is their main player and their main scorer but i don't really see Capital Prep going away next year i think you know those three players with that kind of experience um i think they should be able to continue this run yeah um if they get another post player in there as a freshman or something then you know i i don't think that they're i think that they're still going to be very good will they be as good as they were last year no (laughs) (laughs) i mean that was just a team that nobody was going to beat but um i think they're starting to get a little more into you know other people I wouldn't say they're catching up with them, but I think they're get you know, maybe that run of really impressive players that they've had is, you know, I don't know if it's coming to an end, but it's, you know, the, the superstar players that they've had are, you know, the, um, Elmore and, um, and uh, uh, what's name? Kaya Gillespie, who went mm-hmm. to Maryland. Um, those were obviously just amazing, amazing players, and, you know, they don't just come along all that often. Sure. So um, I think that... Um, you know, I, I, I mean, they haven't lost in, in the state for four years, right. and you know, could that happen next year? I, you know, if, if somebody else comes along that um, is, you know, doing well, then you know, they, they could. But um, I, yeah, that was a great game. I just, I really enjoyed watching that game. I thought that was really, um, it was not, it, it was nice to see a good, you know, competitive game. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. No, I was, uh, you know, I was t- taken and, and pointed out to someone I was sitting next to during the game that. Uh, the pace and sort of just both teams were really almost just relentless and kind of going after each other, you know, in a, in a, in a spirited way. It was just, you know, prep is, is so aggressive and, and, you know, pressuring and, and pressuring every rebound and contesting mm. everything. And I feel like new London kind of matched them uh, almost all the way to the end. So it really was right. a, an right. entertaining, uh, entertaining uh, class L final. Let's go back now to, uh, to the, the opening game of the weekend, which was class S with, uh, with Canton, uh, earning its first championship game in a, in a rematch against Thomaston. What sort of jumped out at you from the, the Class S final? Um, I I really thought, you know, Thomason was going to do it again just because they had those, you know, the players, most of the players were back from the team from last year mm-hmm. that had, you know, most of the key players that had actually done things um, in the game. And obviously they have um, Casey Carangelo, who was tough to, you know, Thomason, who was tough to, to get around for Canton, um, but I thought Canton did really well. You know, their 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 guards, um, Maggie and um, Emily, uh, were just really you know very good. And um, I think I think Maggie Tracy is her senior year. You know, she wanted to kind of end with a with a good thing on a good yeah. note. And um, they, they you know they they had kind of ups and downs this year. Canton, they weren't you know they weren't the team that they were last year. They didn't have the record they had last year. Um, they lost to, I'm pretty sure they lost to Enfield. Um, I think they lost to Avon, which was not, you know, a good, they, at the time they were thinking that was not, that was a team they wanted to beat. And the funny thing about Canton is I always would joke with the coach that every time I would go see them play a big game, they would lose. You know, (laughs) I would go see them play 
Enfield or go see them play Avon, and they would lose. Yeah. And my joke with him was they are not ready for prime time, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think I actually wrote that one time. And so this, when they won the other day, I said, wow, you guys, are, you finally made it, you know, you're finally ready for prime time. <laughs> <laughs> he finally did it when, when the stakes were high. Yep. And I think they had a problem with getting over that, you know, hump, and they, fi- and they finally figured out that they could do it in the Class S game. So that was kind of cool to see that. Yeah, no, and as you said, it, it seemed like they really, uh, it, you know, not that they played a, a flawless game, but played about as well a, a game and right. had, a, had a great game plan as, uh, as well. Could and the other problem too was Thomas Newton was in all that foul trouble, which yep. was really, you know, kind of interesting the way that when they switch from two to three refs, you know, how the fouls become more important, you know, more magnified, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it were. So it's yeah. kind of, um, it, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, that in the championship game that they. You know, they had trouble with that. But yeah. I, I don't know if Canton, you know, could Canton have won if they weren't in foul trouble? I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But they were, and that was that. Um, on to another uh, very impressive team, uh, Cromwell, that, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about. They, the the only uh, unbeaten all the way through, including, you know, state competition and, and league tournament play, and uh, and finished it up with a win over Notre Dame-Fairfield in the, the Class M uh, championship game. What was your uh, takeaway from that final? Boy, I, I just, you know, I didn't see Cromwell that much this year. I, I think I saw them once against Morgan, and I just came away really impressed with them. Um, Kelly Mayer is a great coach, and she just gets that team, you know, so, um, you know, they play defense so well, and, you know, to, to go through the season unbeaten, even if you're, maybe the competition is down a little bit, mm-hmm. is still hard, yeah. you know? I mean, you still, there's nights where they're still going to maybe slip up or, you know, play badly or something like that. And they didn't do that all year. They just, they were really good all year. And, you know, maybe Morgan wasn't as good as it had been in the past, so they did lose them. You know, they did beat Morgan, you know, three times this year. But, um, you know, maybe Morgan would have been a little bit more of a challenge in the past or had been more of a challenge in the past. But, um, you know, even with that, they still, you know, just the way they won in the final was really impressive, and you know, selfishly, would I would I've liked to seen you know unbeaten Enfield go against unbeaten Cromwell in the final? Yeah, <laughs> that would have sure. been a really good story. Um, but you know, Notre Dame Fairfield beat Enfield. You know, pretty sound. You know, they beat them mm-hmm. fair and square, and you know that was that was a great game. So, um, I I thought that you know Notre Dame Fairfield having beaten two unbeaten teams already, I thought maybe they would have a better chance at that, but, you know, Cromwell just didn't let them do anything. Yeah. So it was, uh, that was a very impressive display by them. Yeah, no, the the word that came to mind watching that was almost just suffocating. I mean, they just kind of just smothered yeah. them, it seemed like, you know, kind of, and, and just slowly sort of uh, inched away and, and just really... Uh, really just took control of that game. So um, uh, we won't talk too much about uh, Class L. I know schools that you don't see very much during the regular season, although you did cover that game for for The Current, and we hit on that that contest a lot with some of our uh, our other guests here on the show. But just for the weekend, any sort of big, uh, you know, big takeaways? Obviously, you know, we talked about Capital Prep with a fourth straight title and an unbeaten Cromwell team and, and Canton's first championship. What were sort of the 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 big stories or were those the big stories or was there anything else that sort of uh you know really stood out to you from uh, the championship weekend um no i thought that was that was, i think we pretty much covered it all i mean um you know i i i liked i have to say the one thing i did like was um and i know this crowd has normally not been a a big crowd that saturday morning class s crowd mm-hmm. 
I thought that was a very good crowd. And I mean, part of it was because of Thomaston, and they have a huge fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, but Canton had a really good amount of fans, too. And I, I was really impressed by the amount of people that came out to that game at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, that was that was very good. I think that was, I want to say that game was more, you know, the crowd was more raucous, you would say, than like the last game. Oh, well, there were a lot of, you know, New London people at the last game, but... Sure. Um, and I, actually, the second game was the one, the Cromwell game. I thought the, the fan there was there weren't as many fans at that one, and I was kind of surprised about that. Um, and I know the snow, you know, on Sunday that kind of maybe kept people away, you know, the forecast or yeah. whatever. But um, but that first game, I was very very impressed by how because I remember going there years ago. It was the first year that they did it, and I think Coventry played somebody in Class S. And there was like ten people there. <laughs> it was really bad, and I mean, no, there was more than ten, but it was, there was not yeah. a big crowd at all. And everybody thought, oh, ten o'clock in the morning—that's a terrible time to have a game, you know. But you know, this year, if, if you know they have fans, they're going to come. I mean, they don't care if it's ten o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever. So, um, so I thought that was a good showing by the by the um, Thomaston and Canton fans. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, the, you know that that it's a tough it's a tough spot to fill, and uh, yeah. the, the Thomaston crowd has become kind of old reliable for us at the yeah. Uh, yeah, at ten o'clock staple. game. Yep. They're, uh, they, they certainly support that, and and I think as you said, can, I think Canton matched them. Uh, well, and I have to say too, Thomaston. You know, these kids aren't done. I mean, they could win a softball title <laughs> they too. They certainly could. Because uh, it's all the same. Basically, well, not all, but a lot of the kids play softball too, and they've already, they won it three years ago or two years ago. So yep. And they've uh, yeah they've got a taste. Uh, uh, they certainly have a taste, and now they they're yeah, trying to I bounce think... back after a uh, not winning a championship. For the right, first time exactly. In a while, they're so. not used to that. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> they always win. <laughs> that's right. Uh, what a strange. Uh, I'm sure they're they're thinking that's a strange thing to hear us uh, say about uh, about Thomaston. But uh, I know, I know they won in field hockey this year. So I think they were going for the three peat this year. Uh, you know, field hockey or the the trifecta. You know, yeah. field hockey, uh, basketball, and softball. But didn't work out in basketball it did not but we will yes we'll certainly keep an eye on them in the uh in the softball season and we know you will be doing so as well so laurie we always thank you for uh for taking a few minutes you're uh you're decompressing this week which is certainly uh well deserved after a busy weekend and we thank you for taking a little time to talk with us sure thank you Thanks so much to Lori for being with us. Love hearing her perspective. We may hear from her once again as we go through the school season. Cover does a great job covering softball in the spring and uh, may want to check in with her as we head into that season here in just a couple weeks. Now we quickly bounce over to uh, another part of the state, the Waterbury Republican-American and Joe Palladino going to offer some thoughts on what he saw at Mohegan Sun this past weekend. Very happy to have with us Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American, which is a mouthful this early in the morning, but it's always good to uh, to talk to Joe. Joe, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Joel, and good morning to you. I'm glad you asked. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You're trying to, uh, to get a feel for all the happenings at uh, Mohegan Sun and elsewhere uh, this past championship weekend and, and wanted to get your perspective, first of all, uh, on the tournament itself from, from the Sacred Hearts perspective, and also we can uh, talk a little Thomaston Girls. I know a team that you're also familiar with, but uh, mm-hmm. wanted to certainly hit on Sacred Heart. was kind of one of the big stories uh, of the season. Um, had As we sort of saw, had their most competitive game in the Class M semifinals against Bloomfield and then really uh, sort of rolled their way through the championship game. So just sort of, you know, from a broad perspective, what was your perspective on, you know, kind of how the tournament went for them and, and sort of, you know, what you took away from their championship run this year? Well, for, from our point of view, uh, anytime you get a chance to watch a great team 
it is it is a good news kind of season, mm-hmm. and we've had the chance to watch Sacred Heart uh, sort of roll through Connecticut for three consecutive years. There's always been a lot of controversy about where they play, sure. and and listen, that's fine. Anybody can. There are great talking points, but but it didn't really matter. <laughs> These guys were so good. Yeah, I believe they were the best team in Connecticut the past three years. Uh, uh, I think when the sports writers voted a couple of years ago, it might have been Fairfield Prep. That's fine. They won double L, and that works for me, too. Mm-hmm. But I think we saw a special team that has a bunch of college-caliber players, certainly a superstar in Mustafa Heron, who is going to, I have a suspicion, be a great Division One basketball sure. player at Auburn, mm-hmm. uh, and other guys who have great potential as well to star at the next level. Uh, and, when, and when it all comes together like that, even for a little tiny school, parochial though they are, I know there's other people that have a lot of opinions on that, uh, it was tremendous to watch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it would have been a lot more fun had there been more competitive games. I mean, listen, the Naugatuck Valley League is a tremendous league. City games, uh, specifically, mm-hmm. are always awesome. And even the city schools couldn't do anything about Sacred Heart this year. It was remarkable to see. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, I'm kind of curious just to, you know, to look at, because obviously you said this is not, uh, this was not some revelation this year. They've been, uh, <laughs> been uh, this is their third straight championship. But it does seem as though they've improved every year, too. Was that just a function, you think, of, of Mustafa Heron kind of improving? Or were there other <laughs> factors that sort of saw them, you know, really, I mean, we saw them get pushed in the, the S championship game two years ago and then sort of build this momentum to the point where, as you said, they were sort of uh, un, unchallenged at, for the most part this year. What, what, would, what would you sort of say was the, the driving force behind that improvement uh, from year to year for this team? Well, I'll tell you what, the first time they won – Everyone was a sophomore, mm-hmm. and they had a wonderful low-post player in Malik Petaway, who was just a junior. Yeah. And they were somewhat overwhelmed a bit when they got into the at Mohegan Sun, I thought. Keep in mind, they had just lost recently to Crosby in the NBL championship game. So there was a lot of growing up to do. Yeah. Uh, and yet they still powered their way through, uh, hats off to them. And then, of course, last year everyone was older and wiser and, and a little bit better. But it's interesting you bring it up because most pundits were saying once Malik Petaway, who's playing junior college ball in, in Florida right now, mm-hmm. once he graduated after last season, they weren't going to be as good. And I, I kept telling everybody, oh, no, no, despite not having Malik, they're going to be better. And that's because Mustafa Heron is a very savvy basketball talent. He knows what needs to be done on the floor to be victorious. And it just meant that he had to do a little bit more this year. He didn't have to before because there was great talent all around him. Sure. So now when the talent level with Malik leaving, you know, dropped just a touch, Mustafa stepped up his game. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If, if, if he needed to go to another gear, another level, he could do it. He just hasn't had the need to do it. So. We'll see that when he gets to college. But I think it was his savvy and smarts on the floor that he always knew just exactly what this team needed to be successful. Um, and that's why I say, had they been at any, any other level in the tournament or played any other kind of uh, talent, for example, in their out-of-state games this year in Springfield and, and uh, in New York, his, his game vaulted to a level that we hadn't seen before because that's what the, the game required. Sure. So 
Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to him. I, this isn't a one-person game, but it really all, yep. does all go back to him. And his, 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 besides his tremendous talent, his great knowledge of the game. Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, I, I think as we said, the, the closest, uh, the biggest challenge they faced maybe in the tournament was that M uh, semifinal, or, yeah, the M semifinal game, and when you see that he uh, felt the need to throw up 48 points in that one, that gives you a <laughs> well, sense of, of maybe his understanding of what the team needed on that uh, that particular day. So Yeah, hey, and let's give credit to Bloomfield. I Absolutely. Mean, you know what, they're tough kids, too. I mean, they had to play Sacred Heart three years in a row. That, that almost is, shouldn't, that's almost not fair. And the Bloomfield kids, there's a lot of, you know, urban kids there. There's a lot of city ball players there, too. Mm-hmm. So they know exactly what this game demands. And they, those two teams went at it three years in a row. I'm talking about banging heads. It was so fun to watch. Um, you know, it, wasn't, it was never in a final, oddly enough. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the funny part about it is when Sacred Heart won the state championship in 2009, who did they play in the final? Bloomfield. Right. So these guys are just joined at the hip, it seems. Yeah. I, you know, I was certainly interested, uh, you know, and I've seen, obviously, you folks uh, at the Republican American have done a lot of coverage of this team, sort of, as I said, has been kind of the, the dominant story in a lot of ways, I'm sure, in your in your part of the state. And just kind of interested to see, you know, and in, in some of the stories, and it's, it's kind of one of the fun things that can happen with high school sports is is, you know, seeing sort of the the town, you know, kind of rally and really just sort of get swept up in the success uh, of the team. Can you talk a little bit about just sort of, you know, it, it seemed like almost this team kind of developed kind of rock star status in, in Waterbury <laughs> a little bit. Was that sort of the case? And, and you know, what was that like to kind of to witness that happening? You know, it, I, it just sort of gave me goosebumps when you said that because that's one of the reasons that we love – uh, our, our teams here in Waterbury so much, and I'll be honest here, we, we don't always have great success <laughs> in other sports. Mm-hmm. Basketball is the one that, uh, and swimming too through the years, but basketball is the one that, that sort of c- captures the public's imagination. Um, when, when there's a team winning in Waterbury, the town gets crazy. Um, they don't often show it during the regular season, and that disappoints me, and I chide them yeah. in print about getting out there. Um, technically, I would have to say that the one team they get behind the most would be Crosby. Mm-hmm. The public school, uh, when, when Crosby is winning, the whole town will pack up and go, and the CIAC has had interesting incidents with, with trying to have print enough tickets sure. <laughs> for when the city fans show up. Um, Sacred Heart is another one, though, that captures the city imagination. Because the school is now something like 75 years old, most of its alumni are city people mm-hmm. who have stayed in the city. So the Sacred Heart alumni, when they get revved up, you've got to get out of the way. Yeah. Um, it's not quite as big a following as you'll get when Crosby starts uh, rolling. And you guys have seen that, too. When Crosby shows up at Mohegan Sun, it's just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely crazy. Like Naugatuck last year, when Naugatuck is winning, that, that whole town shows up. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, by the way, so it is with Thomaston, though it's a smaller town. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, we uh, everybody packs up and goes. Yeah, we we commented so, on an earlier uh, earlier interview on the podcast with Lori Riley that we've uh, we've been fortunate to sort of have the uh, the 10 a.m. game busters of Thomaston. I mean, we can sort of count on uh, just penciling in that attendance for us. But uh, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, you were I, saying. Listen, Joel, bottom line here: attendance at most high school events is down. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, I understand all the reasons, and, and, and people don't, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is now. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see it get better. Sacred Heart had a bunch of sold-out games. <laughs> Only 800 tickets will sell out Alumni Hall, but they, they, would, they would, you know, people would be showing up at 5.30 sure. to watch the whole JV game because they knew they couldn't get in. So it, it's, it's a wonderful thing when it happens. We'd like to see it happen more often. We'd like to see more attendance at high school games in general. Uh, but but when Waterbury when a Waterbury team starts winning, uh, the town gets a little you get a little crazy. Yeah, well, and that's as you said, that's part of the fun. You know, the, yep. the, these uh, you know the the t- the kids and the teams are sort of of the towns in a way that maybe <laughs> yeah. they're not uh, they're not with other uh, you know levels of, of competition. So I agree. Um, you know, as as you said, you've you've been doing this. You and uh, we were talking at Mohegan Sun, talking to folks you know who have been and been around and have seen a lot of teams. You know, not to 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 put you in a position where you have to rank I don't you know necessarily like doing rankings and that kind of thing but just from your perspective you know how good was this team you know from from what you've seen and and the teams that you've covered and and been following over the years well I I can't imagine anyone beating them often mm-hmm. <laughs> now I say that because you know in Waterbury now everyone is is nose-to-nose about what's the greatest team all-time in the city, Sure, the 2005 Crosby team, or, or this team. And, you know, I have a little leaning towards that Crosby team, but it's so slight, and Mustafa being the greatest player ever from the city, so you might throw the edge there. Uh, you know, I, I try to weasel out of the argument by <laughs> saying, well, one team would win 51 times and the other team would win 49 times. Well, how, how does that strike you? Yeah. Um, but... But, you know, you've got to go back to some of those amazing Hill House teams I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have to go back to some of those Trinity Catholic teams, particularly. I, like to, I think the, the Trinity Catholic teams of, of 10, 15 years ago, where you would have multiple Division I players on yeah. the floor, mm-hmm. that's what you rarely see. Uh, you know, Hartford Public, when, when Canby was playing, and... Um, uh, and when Holy Cross had Edmund Saunders before he went to UConn, and Trinity Catholic was since they had a kid who went to UConn too. I can't remember his name. When those teams would meet on the floor in a CIAC tournament game, it was epic. Yeah. Um, and this team is right in that same category, uh, equal to them, no question. I, I, I could. It's tough to compare eras, you know that. Sure. But I would put them. With that Crosby team, those Trinity Catholic teams, maybe even those Holy Cross teams of the 90s, you know, and Hartford Public when they had Canby, all right on the same, the same level. Now, of course, the old-timers would go back to, to Sly and Super John Williamson, and I can't go back that far. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, these guys are right there. Yeah, no, it certainly was, and it was a lot of fun to, uh, to watch. We, we, we mentioned and, and certainly want to get your perspective on as well, uh, you know, the, the Thomaston girls – their uh, their fourth trip to the Class S uh, championship game uh, coming up a little short against Canton again, but your perspective kind of on what the this remarkable run of the uh, the Thomaston girls basketball team and we sort of joke about how we can count on the their you know the town coming down to Mohegan Sun whatever time of day we happen to put their game, but uh, what what's sort of your your perspective and and just viewpoint on on what that uh, girls team has been able to do over the past uh, four years? Well, I'll tell you what, Joel. Uh, hey, by the way, Joel, I, I'm getting a lot of bad interference on this end. Do, do you hear it? I'm not hearing it, no. But let's uh, 
see if uh, I can. I'll tell you what. I'll just keep plowing ahead, and we'll see what happens. Okay. All right. All hopefully, right. it sounds all right on my end, so maybe okay. it's just a, a weird connection somewhere. Hopefully, it'll come through okay. Um, the, the amazing thing about Thomaston, and what I think people forget, is, is first of all, these girls were working on uh, consecutive state championships in basketball. Mm-hmm. Then they won in the spring in softball. Then they won in the fall in field hockey. Right. So now they're in the final this year. They're the defending state champs in softball, by the way. Of course, everybody's back. Yeah. And I, I forget the number. I believe, I believe this group of seniors has seven state championships. That's remarkable. In, in, in three different sports. And, and beyond that, it, it's just the miracle way they win. For crying out loud, last year the softball team was down to their last out and their last strike, and won twice mm-hmm. with, with late-inning rallies, sometimes twice in one game. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to, how to characterize <laughs> this. It's been a miracle finish year after year after year. Uh, I, I don't think we've ever seen the like of it before. We have a lot of teams out there that win. Sure. But, but there's 100 girls in that school, for crying out loud. I mean, I... <laughs> It's just, it's just remarkable. And you know what? The, the better team won uh, at Mohegan Sun. Let's not take anything away from Canton. Mm-hmm. Canton was quicker. Uh, they were a little deeper, and they were better that day for certain. Yep. Um, but their, their quickness was very impressive, and, and I, you have to give them a lot of credit because they didn't just beat a good team. They beat a team that had so much belief in themselves and so much confidence on their side for their past success. And that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but now these girls still have the spring. <laughs> they, they still have spring to chase another championship. So th- their story isn't even finished yet, Joel. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it was interesting uh, as that, that game kind of wrapped up, you almost, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, and certainly I wasn't waiting among the, the Thomaston crowd, but even among the, the media, and you almost had a sense of disbelief of sort of, you know, <laughs> wait a minute, no, no, these are the games, we, we win these games at Thomaston <laughs> now, you know, we're, this is this is what we do is we find ways to uh, to come out and win, but certainly, yeah, you as know, you said. You know was, what, uh, though, you speak, you say something good there, and, and I, I did notice this, too, the look on the faces of the Thomaston girls showed a lot of savvy and poise, because they had this look on their face like, you know, we were, we've been here before. We've beaten other teams. We know we just got beat today. They weren't weeping because they were sad. They were, they were, they were proud of where they were, and they, they, were, they were very complimentary about a great Canton team. Yeah. So, you know, all this winning, I think, created a lot of poise and maturity in these kids, and they handled – you know what could normally be a very disappointing day with tremendous dignity. Yeah, no, I think that I think that maturity word is uh, is ab- is absolutely spot on. Yeah, they seem to to recognize they uh, they got outplayed on that uh, that particular day, and that's that's the way it goes. And yes, as you said, Canton certainly a, a deserving uh, champion. So, oh, yeah. lots of good uh, lots of good stories coming out of um, Joe Palladino's <laughs> neck of uh, neck of Connecticut, and uh, we always appreciate him carving out a few minutes to uh, talk with us about it. Joe, thanks so much, and uh, looking forward to the spring. Thank you, Joel. So am I. Take care. Thanks so much to Joe Palladino. And uh, now we're going to get in touch with our man Don Boyle from the NFHS Network. He is going to uh, recap what took place at Ingalls Rink in New Haven over the past few days. 
We don't have too many uh, traditions here on the CIAC cast, but I think one of them every, is every year reaching out to Don Boyle following the uh, the, the Connecticut High School Hockey Championships to, uh, to get his perspective on everything that went down at Ingalls Rink. And uh, Don, thanks as always for being with us to talk a little hockey. Joel, it's nice to be alongside, and I, I like the fact you're calling this a tradition. That means hockey now has a thumbprint here in the state of Connecticut. That's great news. That's exactly <laughs> right, and, uh, and and you are one of the voices of hockey in the state of Connecticut, so we're going to uh, lean on you to, to provide a little color as to uh, to what happened at Ingalls Rink. Both, uh, and let's just, even if we could, you know, we were going to talk about the championships, but even going back, you know, the semifinals were there all week leading up to the finals, and really, you know, just from a broad perspective, some remarkably exciting semifinal games and then some really, really competitive and close championship games again. Just sort of generally speaking, was this maybe as uh, as competitive, sort of a, a string of semifinals and finals as you've seen? Yeah, it was. And I'll tell you what was encouraging about it, Joel. It wasn't the Division One teams that took center stage when you talk about pure excitement. It was Division Three and Division Two. Uh, both games in Division Three, both games in Division Two were outstanding battles uh, on Monday and uh, on Tuesday night. And the D1 games were kind of the flop, I guess, if you're really going to analyze and be really critical. Because you had high expectations that Darian Notre Dame West Haven would be a, a, a bruising game, mm-hmm. and the Blue Wave just ran away with that one. And then uh, Fairfield Prep over over Hamden rather easily as that game moved on. Although I was very proud of uh, of the way uh, they played out there in the ice. You talk about the Green Dragons; they they certainly put forth a, a great effort. And really, it's perhaps a surprise team in all of high school hockey in Connecticut after the way they began their season. But Division Two, II, Division Three, thrilling up and down the ice action. Great crowds. It was really a, it was it was a, it was a fun time. It was great. All right. So let's. Uh, you mentioned that Division One uh, at the semifinals were sort of uh, you know a little bit of roll, rolls away for for one team, and then in the finals, even uh, it, it seemed that nobody was stopping the blue wave of Darien this year. Uh, seemed to be kind of jumped out to the lead and were, were in control of that one from the start. What did you see in that Division One final as they bested uh, Fairfield Prep? What I saw was a very consistent team out of Darien that could play a couple of different ways. It was kind of interesting. Matt Sather uh, is one of my favorite coaches in the state of Connecticut. I think he, he allows his guys to play uh, within their skill set, uh, try to be creative, and try to do things also within the framework of what he wants out on the ice surface. And he tried to change that up, I thought, in the second period against Darien when they really tried to roughhouse things uh, in the corners and all over the ice surface. They did take a bad penalty in the second period to kind of slow down any momentum it looked like they might have uh, when they cut a 2 nothing lead down to 2-1. to one. But Darien withstood that type of pressure. Uh, they could play physical hockey. If you didn't want to play physical hockey, they would certainly beat you in up and down the ice type action. So in all three zones, they were just absolutely well coached by uh, Mac Budd. And, and they, from man to man, first line to third line, sprinkling fourth line guys, a group of six defensemen into the goaltender, uh, they were the class of, uh, of, of Connecticut high school hockey by far. Very, very good. Yeah, and it seemed I watched a little bit of the the, str- the live stream of that game, and it, as I think even on the broadcast you were saying, it just seemed like they kind of just sucked the life out of uh, out of Fairfield Prep as they earned their uh, their second consecutive championship in Division One. So, 
Yeah, uh, you know, they're dominating. I mean, they've been now to three consecutive championship games. They lost to Fairfield Prep a couple of years ago, you might remember, mm-hmm. in overtime. And I think they're here to stay. I mean, their youth program, from what I understand, is the largest in the state of Connecticut, if not one of the largest. A great feeder system. The kids seem to enjoy playing for their local high school. Uh, they're keeping the kids, the interest of them. I think they've had great leadership. And guys like uh, Jake Kirby, who went out with, a, with style, had the first goal, set the tone in that, in that championship game. Game when he scored a minute 49 in, and it just kind of trickled down to the rest. So that's a team to be reckoned with, I think, for the next few years, absolutely. Yeah, no, and as you said, kind of an interesting that last year they talked about how their uh, championship run was sort of fueled by the disappointment of losing to Prep the previous year in the final, and now they come uh, full circle and, and knock off Fairfield Prep in the championship game. And then the uh, to, to opening game on uh, on Saturday, and what a roller coaster this appeared to be. Uh, watching from the outside, you had West Hill Stamford taking on SWS uh, State Weston uh, Shelton and and it was uh, you know it appeared to be all West Hill Stamford and then all of a sudden in the third period things flipped and then you got uh, West Hill Stamford coming back and uh, and writing the ship just before the end of regulation so Don uh, walk us through what took on what took place in the Division Three Championship. Well, I can tell you what happened in the Division Three Championship. You had an instant classic, and it looked like a game that was going to go to overtime after this gallant comeback bid uh, by SWS, and uh, they fell short when they give up a goal with just 20 seconds, I should say 27 seconds left in the game. Uh, Nicky Rich scoring his third of the game. He scores a hat trick. Matter of fact, when he scored the hat trick, that goal as a hat trick goal, you know, with the quotations around hat trick, it was meaningless because it was the game winner for a right. state championship, and <laughs> I think everybody in the house finally realized, hey, he also scored a hat-trick. That's the type of performance he had. He scored a goal in the second period. He scored another key goal in the third period and then eventually had the game winner, like I said, in the final minute of the play. So up and down they went, and you really got to tip your cap to both teams. They found their momentum. They found their energy. They jump out to a lead early on to staple on a Ryan Johnson goal. Then Chris Clemenson comes from out of nowhere and scores a couple of goals just 44 seconds apart. Uh, for um, Westfield Stanford, and uh, it looked like it was going to be lights out when uh, Nicky Rich uh, scored his first goal of the game, then he scores another, and then all of a sudden in the third period in the span of uh, six minutes or so, Staples and company, they come back on two goals by Sammy New and another way by uh, Jesse Greenspun, and you have a tie game for that dramatic finish. Absolutely incredible, and the the fans, they get the money's worth out of that one. The hitting was ferocious all over the ice, and the passing was great. It was just, it was fun. It brought a smile to my face. I can imagine, and yeah, sort of an interesting, uh, you know, really impressive uh, from both teams, and and sort of uh, one of those games that makes you kind of question the notion of momentum, because it seems like West Hill, Stamford has all the momentum, then Staples is able to uh, you know, to swing things back around SWS to their way, and then somehow West Hill Stamford regroups and, and as you said, gets that late winning goal. What's, how, how impressed were you sort of with both teams and their ability to, to sort of seemingly come back over and over again from, uh, from when it seemed like they were both, you know, you, you wouldn't think that maybe West Hill Stamford would be able to regroup after surrendering three goals and, uh, and you know, looking like maybe they've, uh, they've lost that lead for good. Yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing. I mean, the first period really belonged to Staples. So you start there, they they leave the ice with a one nothing lead, and then all of a sudden you see West Hill Stanford just roar out in the second period, and they score early. They score midway through. They have all the momentum. Uh, matter of fact, uh, you know they take the lead to four to one with a goal uh, early on in the third period of play. And I don't know where Staples found their energy, but all of a sudden Jesse Greenspun, who was kind of their uh, kind of their uh, their glue to the team, the 
guy that keeps this team perhaps in check, along with Ryan Johnson. He scored a magnificent goal, and after that goal, it was so pretty. It was so well executed. I think this team just believed that time and time again, uh, they could get into the offensive zone and take a shot at it, and the youngster, Sammy New, scored a couple, and all of a sudden, it looked like overtime, and then that disappointment to Staples, because that goal by West Hill Stanford really came from out of nowhere with 27 seconds remaining, and, and I tell you, the house went crazy when he scored that goal. It was a, uh, you talk about emotional swings, that game had it. Yeah, no question. Certainly, as you said, instant classic, and I think we can, uh, we can just label it as that and, uh, and move on to Division Two, which, uh, which kicked off championship weekend in fine fashion as well. You had Fairfield Ward Ludlow uh, prevailing in overtime over North Brantford. Sort of a little bit of a similar script to, to Division Three, where you had uh, North Brantford scoring the first goal, then Fairfield Ludlow rips off three straight, and then you've got uh, North Brantford coming back in the third period, descended into overtime. What sort of uh, stood out to you in that Division Two final? You know, the Division Two final, it, it really mirrored uh, what the Division Three championship game was all about. So they did a great job of setting the tone for excitement on Friday night. It was two teams that with a will to win, really, when you take a look at it. Fairfield Ward, Ludlow, and North Brantford. Two teams that just wanted it desperately. For North Brantford, trying to, you know, right the ship after losing in the championship uh, game a year ago, and it looked like they got off to this great start with Dominic uh, Baccio scoring that goal, just 322 in, mm-hmm. and they give up that goal to uh, Jack McCormick, and it was tied at one, uh, you know, through the first period of play, and uh, late in the period, you got a big goal scored uh, by uh, Will Von Brantish. Uh, that was really kind of an interesting goal there for Fairfield Ward Ludlow. It gave them a lead. It looked like uh, they had all the momentum. They carried that deeper uh, into that period when uh, McCormick scored his second of the game, and just kind of after a score of the second period, it looked like Fairfield Ward Ludlow was just going to maintain. But North Brantford in that second period just pounded the goal and uh, just couldn't put anything uh, past the, the game-winning goaltender, Mike Grace, as he was absolutely incredible. Matter of fact, he made sec- 11 saves in that second period alone to keep the score at 3-1. Uh, to one. And then North Brantford, all of a sudden, Michael Pintero on a beautiful pass with a great shot, scores, and then you had the electrifying game-tying goal by Adam Burkle in the third period with Brian McKee and uh, Mark Daddio making splendid passes. Just might have been the prettiest goal of the entire tournament. Uh, the tie the score, and then uh, in the overtime, Jack Fuss does what Jack Fuss does. He had four in the semifinal. He just got himself in the right place at the right time and took advantage of a good low shot on net. Uh, Owen uh, Emmendorfer, my favorite name in the entire tournament, <laughs> picking up one of the helpers on that goal. So the guy that has uh, scored over 100 points in just two seasons of high school hockey, Jack Fuss, lights a lamp and wins it. Just what you expect, I think, from a Fairfield Ward Ludlow captain. Yeah, no question. Really a thriller, as you said, to sort of uh, set the t- set the table and set the tone for an exciting weekend of uh, of hockey, which is uh, we've really come to find as the the norm at uh, at Ingalls Reek. We've just had several years in a row of just thrilling championship games, which is uh, such a great uh, punctuation mark to to the high school season. Uh, it really is. You know something? I got to credit George Hall and Dr. Tom Nagel again uh, for for putting together a great tournament, and they got their sidekicks, Joe Tonelli and the rest, all all hanging out doing a great job and uh, you know Yale once again treats everybody with the utmost of 
respect. Um, so it's just a great show overall. Uh, the fans were well behaved, really in tune to what the action was all about. The outpouring of the, the student bodies from all the schools uh, was very enlightening to see that, Joel. It was a, a great it was a great time. It's my favorite time of year, every year I say it. And once again, it did not disappoint. No question. And uh, yeah, as we said, just uh, it, we, it's been rarely a dud, I think, in the last couple of years uh, in terms of exciting games at, uh, at Ingalls Rink. Don, give me, uh, you know, you've, and I'm sure you've hit on all of them as we kind of go through the games, but maybe give me, you know, two or three players uh, just that you came away from the weekend just kind of shaking your head and saying, man, those kids really left an impression on me uh, with the work they put in uh, at championship weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in a losing effort in the Division Two game, Dominic Laccio up and down the ice along with Adam Burkle, a couple of guys that really set the tone over the last couple of years leading the North, North Brantford team uh, to a couple of championships. I should say a couple of championship opportunities. they unlucky to win. They wish I was talking where <laughs> they were champion, but maybe they'll be back next year. But uh, uh, Jake Fuss uh, was a guy that just, you know, withstood the storm. They were covering him all over the ice and eventually when needed the most in that uh, Division Two state championship game. He was in the right spot to win it for his team in overtime. So I thought his play uh, was outstanding along with those two players from uh, North Brantford. They were, they were just uh, outstanding to watch. Uh, in Division Three in the West Hill Stamford uh, team, uh, I mean, it's just you go up and down. Uh, Nick Rich, a guy in the semifinals, I thought just uh, really put his team on his back and put them in position time and time again for good scoring opportunities. Had a great example in both halves, uh, all three zones actually neutralized, uh, back-checking in the offensive end was outstanding along with Chris Clemenson, and then they move on in the championship game. They don't disappoint, and uh, between the two of them, they score, what, five goals? So yeah. that's, that's pretty good stuff from, from those two guys. And in Division One uh, with Darianne, you, you look at it, it's really hard to single out one guy, you might say Jake Kirby, kind of guy that sets the tone, a defenseman, Sammy Knowlton, really liked the way he played. Um, but overall, just a team effort. They just come at you literally in a blue wave. <laughs> I mean, all five guys on the ice, and they're interchangeable. You know, a defenseman jumps up in the play, a forward's moving back. A defenseman, uh, you know, uh, makes a mistake, there's a forward behind them to support them. I mean, the, it was just incredible to watch uh, the display of teamwork out on the ice. So I would give them the team trophy along with that Division One championship trophy. All right. So uh, the, the Blue Wave, a fitting moniker for that Darien team that uh, now has won two straight uh, Division One championships. And Don Boyle was, uh, was there, as he always is, for the hockey championships, providing uh, some great play-by-play for uh, the NFHS Network and CPTV Sports. And as always, uh, we said, the tradition, and uh, I see no reason and we can't have him back with us next year at this time to uh, to break down another fun championship weekend. So, Don, thanks as always for being with us and uh, for uh, for bringing your passion for high school hockey to uh, the CIAC cast. Uh, thank you, Joel. And as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you and everybody associated with the CIAC guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Next up, we got, I told you we had a busy slate. We're going to reach out to Joe Morelli of the New Haven Register, one of our favorite boys basketball writers. He's going to give his perspective on things that took place in the boys basketball high school season. Joe Morelli of the New Haven Register and Game Time CT is joining us now to talk a little boys basketball. Joe, always a pleasure to, uh, to have a chance to chat with you. My pleasure, Joel. All right, let's uh, let's dive right in here. Starting with a game that uh, that capped the weekend and certainly was uh, the the most spirited and, and most interesting. Maybe uh, uh, certainly ended up that way. Uh, the double L final between Hill House and Weaver. 
uh, decided in double overtime with Hill House eventually pulling out the win. Joe, what uh, what kind of stood out to you from that championship game? Well, it was a, it was a battle of wills. And sometimes it, it really does come down to that. I and mean, when you when the skill and who's supposed to win, all that gets thrown out the window, and it comes out who really wants it more. You hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's almost become kind of cliche, but it, it really came down to that. I mean, and obviously also came down to who was left on the floor. Yeah. And, you know, one thing about Hill House, they do have a lot of depth and they have a lot of ball handlers. And once uh, you got into second overtime, all of uh, Weaver's experienced ball handlers were out, and they really they had no, they couldn't handle Hill House's pressure defense. And I believe uh, Hill House scored the first twelve points in the second overtime, and uh, the rest is history. And state title number twenty three as they continue to build upon their own record. Yeah. So uh, just obviously, this Hill House team is one uh, you're pretty familiar with with your. Uh, uh, your coverage area. So, you know, this was uh, two teams that met during the regular season and, and Weaver won fairly convincingly. And it seemed like you didn't hear all that much, you know, kind of uh, uh, of the chatter this season wasn't as much about Hill House. So what, you know, what sort of changed maybe from either that first game against Weaver or, or how did this team kind of change and, and become a state champion by the end of the year? Well, I think those sophomores became juniors, even if they aren't juniors yet, as far as the uh, the calendar goes. The thing about Hill House is that usually it is, as with most teams, you usually have veteran kids have to lead. Uh, not too long after that Weaver game, Joey Kasperzik, uh their junior and their, and their best returning player from the year ago, mm-hmm. got hurt, um, and he wasn't himself in a couple of those games. And in, in two of the biggest games of the season in late January, Joey was there, but he was limited. And, and guys like Byron Breland, and guys like Christian Adams and others had to step in as underclassmen and lead. And when you, when you they handed prep Fairfield prep their only regular season loss on the road mm-hmm. in Fairfield, and they came from 18 down to force overtime to beat Wilbur Cross, and those were within 48 hours of each other. So those games help you grow up in a hurry. And then obviously uh, in the postseason play, they, they, they just you know they know they understand what it's like, what it means to wear the uniform. Yeah. Uh, you have to play defense. You have to commit to yourself on the defensive end of the floor, and and and, and they're obviously as you, everybody saw, Adams and Breland, and obviously when Kasperzik is healthy, are a really good trio of players, and obviously they have a lot of help surrounding them. So, so I I, I have to think, uh, assuming everything but he returns, they're they're right there as far as in the conversation. You'll be hearing about them in the preseason next year. If it wasn't so this year, yeah, no, sir. As you said, uh, if they were, if if it was possible for a Hill House team to be under the radar this year, I don't think that's going to be the case. At least, no, uh, not at, at all. least, er, not early next season, anyway. No. Uh, On to the Class L game, where I think you you know it was interesting. I feel like people expected that to be a real highly competitive game, maybe along that double L game, and uh, it seemed like East Catholic kind of jumped out early and, and and took all the wind out of the sails. And you sort of talking to the the media folks at Mohegan, it seems like just a lot of kind of shaking the head and saying, "Man, that East Catholic team was was just really really good." What were your impressions from uh, the Class L final? Well, I also think I like to happen to think Milton's pretty good too. I just think they. They, like a lot of teams who are there for the first time, showed a lot of nerves. Mm-hmm. And not, no excuse, but, I mean, they just, the adjusting to the arena, adjusting to the moment, the, the backboards. I mean, you're, not, you're shooting, it's, it's, it's different than shooting in your own gym or sure. a high school gym. Yep. And, and, I, and they, I mean, they just couldn't do anything. 
But yes, when East Catholic jumps out 17 to five, that has a lot to do with it. I mean, you have a guy going to the University of San Diego, Marco Bone. I mean, he's a tremendous point guard. You have a freshman who who played pretty well in Joe Riley, and you have the masked man in Mike McGurl, who's going to be one of the best players in the state next year, as well as this year, um, and one of the best bench coaches in the state in Luke Riley. So, so once a team like East Catholic gets a lead, eight, ten points, it feels like twenty because they're going to spread you out. And even though Middletown didn't really allow them to go four corners, they pressed them, they still had enough of a cushion because what ends up happening is when you're able to beat their pressure, you got easy baskets, and they did. And Milton really never threatened them in the second half. Yeah, no, it was. As you said, it sort of it seemed like uh... – yeah, East Catholic got that lead and just never, never felt like they were not in control of that. Uh, that that's class that's L, correct. Yes. That class L contest. Speaking of teams being in control, obviously one of the big stories of uh, of the season and and certainly championship weekend, the the impressive uh, play of Sacred Heart uh, in the class M final, defeating Notre Dame of Fairfield. Uh, you know, not maybe not a lot of not obvious things to say about this game, Joe. But what uh, you know, just sort of it, from your perspective, someone who's covered a lot of high school basketball in the state of Connecticut. What's kind of your, you know, impression of this Sacred Heart team? Well, I think what you're fine is Mustafa Heron is going to be one go down as one of the greats. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to compare him to other greats from years ago because I haven't seen enough to justify it. I'm sure there's plenty who are ahead of him. Mm-hmm. But I've talked to other people who say he's the kind of kid who could play in any era. Because obviously you can see he's gotten bigger and stronger. I mean, he's going to go to Auburn University on a full ride. But he's got plenty of help. I mean, yeah. he turned flowers, going to UMass, six nine kid. He was around the glass the entire game. And you have a kid like Charles Fisher, who's as good on the ball defender as there is in the state. They Are they an all-time team? Well, listen, they've won three straight state titles in a row, and, and only a handful of teams have done that. The thing about Sacred Heart in – and it was the the other the problem with Sacred Heart is the question that always will dog them is why didn't school play in Double L? Only administration knows that that was their decision. They made they decided that two years ago and and this year not to petition to play up. That's their business. But to be an all time team, you need to play in the all time Double L division. And by not doing so, I don't know if you consider them an all time team. Yeah. Although I think they're great, and I think they could, they would, as far as one of the great teams I've seen, uh, but it's kind of hard to compare them with the other teams. When ten years ago, when when the CIC had Division One, two, three, and four, the teams that won Division One, you knew they were the best team because their second round games were like state championships. And nothing against the teams in Class M, but. It's just not the same as Double L. Sure. Yep. And that's uh, that's certainly the case. But uh, Sacred Heart did uh, did what it did and, and earned uh, a lot of uh, a lot of impressive victories along the way. Well, and here's the other thing, Joel. That, listen, the way they played on Saturday, they would have beaten anybody that day in the state. Yep. By 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 double digits. So, mm-hmm. to me, there's no debate. I mean, they were number one in our poll. They weren't unanimous. I mean, there'll be some people who feel Hill House should be number one, and that's fine. 
that's what you get when you don't play in the ball division. But to me, they were the best team, and they showed it. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a dominant uh, dominant performance. And uh, in Class S, obviously uh, Immaculate uh, able to kind of pull away from Coggenshog uh, as that game went along, uh, ending a great run for uh, for Coggenshog to the championship game. What was uh, what sort of stood out to you from Class S, Joe? Well, I, I wasn't surprised that Coggenshog hung around. I mean, when you get on that kind of run, and and you get those double digit seeds who, who you know you, they get gain confidence as you go along in the tournament. Yeah, they were right there in, in the fourth quarter. But yeah, Macklin had a few too many weapons. I mean, Darius Hunter and Darius Smith, and 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 they're very efficient on offense. And and obviously they were able to hang up uh, to hold off Kaganchuk. Um and, and they ended up as a top ten team as well. But Kaganchuk has a lot to be proud of. I mean, first time they've been in a state championship game, I believe, since '82. So. I mean, I gave their town a lot to be excited about, and uh, I imagine they'll probably be. Listen, they're always in contention for the Shoreline Conference title, Um, and I'm sure a run like this isn't out of the question for the near future for them. Yeah, no, you you never know what that uh, what that sort of tournament success is going to mean. For, for future years, and as we talked about, you know, with with Hill House, they they know what uh, they know what the tournament success is like, and maybe that helps them. Maybe that uh, can start to pay dividends for some teams down the road. So sure. What uh, just sort of big impressions from the from the championship weekend? Obviously, it was sort of ended on such a dramatic note with the the final game uh, of Hill House and Weaver, as you said, kind of the battle of wills between those two uh, perennial powers. But uh, what were sort of your your final impressions from uh, from championship weekend? Well, I obviously think that it was such a interesting game in Double L. As far as I mean, there were a lot of fouls called in 103. It kind of turned into a walk to the foul line instead of a, 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 a cleanly played game. But that's the way it is sometimes. Um, and obviously, it was an exciting game and a good way to end it. Uh, like I said, unfortunately, the games on Saturday, a lot of them were you know were all double digits, so it was kind of hard to get into. I mean, the second hard game was over in the first. Five minutes, unfortunately, for for Notre Dame of Fairfield, who who had a very good season and, and got to the Class Seven state final two straight years, but again, they were in the unfortunate position of playing the best team in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we talked about Immaculate and Coggenshog and and East Catholic. I mean, East to me, the CCC was the best conference this year overall as far as depth goes. I mean, you had East Catholic winning it. Weaver was in the final. Uh, Windsor was in the semifinal, so was Newington. We in Middletown was in the final, and so on and so forth. I, I think, I mean, but the SEC to me is is close because obviously Fairfield Prep lost to Weaver by two. He got Hillhouse as a champion, sure, and so on and so forth. So, my overall from the from the weekend, I mean, I again, I I think it was a little anticlimactic as far as the Saturday games go, but the Sunday game at least provided a little bit of excitement. And uh, and the weekend, yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely was a. I think everyone sort of left the building drained, and, and certainly, the, I'm sure the players were exhausted. It seemed like that game uh, took a lot out of everybody by the end of the day, and uh, and 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 really put a nice uh, a nice exclamation point on it. And, and you know what? Kudos to, to Weaver for petitioning to play in the double L division. They were the only team to do it. They did not have to do it. They would have been in Class L, but they wanted to play test themselves against the best. And you know, I, I don't know how if they. If they feel the season is a, is a success based on finishing second, but with their veteran group, they tried, 
and they should be commended for having uh, done what they did. Yep, no question. It certainly is, is, a, is, a, is a commendable, and I think we, we talk this time of year, and, and CIAC is probably guilty of this on occasion, you know, that the because we uh, the tournaments sort of are the, the cap to the, to the season, but uh, that doesn't necessarily – all of the teams that didn't win championships doesn't mean they didn't have successful seasons in their own way. So that's certainly uh, um, – you know, an interesting note as well that just because uh, they they didn't come away with the championship at the at, at the end doesn't mean it wasn't a it wasn't a successful season for them and and for other schools. So, uh, right. we right. Uh, we always appreciate talking to Joe Morelli as he does a lot of great work uh, work for us and for the New Haven Register and for Game Time CT at the uh, at the Mohegan Sun and offers some great perspective after uh, seeing quite a lot of basketball this season and in previous seasons. So, Joe, we uh, we always appreciate you joining us and uh, and thanks for carving out a little time. Joe, always a pleasure anytime. All right. Finally, now batting cleanup. Well, actually, he's batting fifth since we had, had uh, five guests this week. But either way, in the anchor spot, that's what we'll call it, Dave Rudin of therudinreport.com going to offer some thoughts on things down in Fairfield County. We've got Dave Rudin on the phone with us the from therudinreport.com, one of our uh, our Fairfield County correspondents, and uh, was a busy weekend for those folks, uh, championship weekend. So, Dave, we thank you for uh, carving out a little time to chat with us and uh, and offer a little perspective on what took place. Uh, my pleasure, Joel. It's always fun coming on with you. So we, uh, I had the pleasure of, of sitting uh, just a few seats down from Dave Rudin in, in one of the girls' basketball finals, which was really, I know, a big deal uh, for you know the, the your area. We had the double L final with Stamford and Greenwich squaring off uh, in a uh, you know so an all FCAC final, something we haven't seen uh, all that often in basketball, either boys or girls. So and uh, with Stamford coming away from the win, talk a little bit about you know kind of the the season that the Black Knights have had uh, and ultimately culminating in that championship which was their first and and what's sort of the story of that uh that Stamford girls basketball team Dave well Joel you know I think there's two stories really behind the team number one is purely the basketball story and uh it was very interesting going into the season and you look at the polls I think uh, everybody looked at Fairfield Ward and Ridgefield as probably the favorites and they were third and fourth uh in the preseason state poll. And then you had, I think, Greenwich right there. And then Stanford was sort of, I think, a team that probably was looked at as maybe going in the fourth-best team and maybe was a, a sleeper to win the title. But I don't know if many people really believed in that. Mm-hmm. And the team just got progressively better as the year went on. Their first uh, loss or so, they really hadn't won a big game. And then the last week of the regular season, they beat, both Fairfield Ward, which was undefeated in le- at league play at the time, and then St- they beat Trumbull to win a tiebreaker for their seed in the FCAC tournament. And then vice versa, in the FCAC tournament, they beat Trumbull in the semifinals, and then they beat Fairfield Ward for the championship, the school's first since, uh, I'm trying to remember now, 1979, I believe it oh, wow. was. And the team just got better as the year went on. They had a star in Tiana England, one of the best players in the state, if not the best, who's going to St. John's. A very dynamic player, and the team relied upon her. But really, the re- what brought Stanford over the top was the supporting cast. You had a sophomore, Alexa Kellner, who scored 19 points in the final, and she really stepped up, became a very good three-point shooter. They had a couple of 
six foot girls in the middle, Mark Duran and Andrea O'Connor. They had uh, Camilla Martinez, who became sort of the three point whiz off the bench. And the team just really grew. And I think as the team grew, Tiana got more confidence in her teammates mm -hmm. and was less reluctant to try to do it on her own. And they just really became a formidable team, as we saw on Sunday at Mohegan Sun, and beat a very good Greenwich team that was very similar in terms of getting better as the postseason went on and reached the final. Yeah. So that's, that's part one. I'm getting long-winded here on you. That's all right. But, uh, part, part two, uh, before I started the Rudin Report, I was at the Stanford Advocate for 20 years, so I pretty well in tune with with Stanford sports. And it really was pretty amazing about how the city and in particular the school rallied around these girls. Mm -hmm. There have been league champions, there have been state champions, but I would say that the Stanford girls team, in terms of the kind of support they got from the school and what they meant to the school, ranks very, very high on the all-time list. There have been a lot of negative stories about the school. There have been some Issues there that have nothing to do with the students and nothing to do with 99% of the faculty or administrators. And I think the school just had been really tired about all the negative news they heard about themselves. And then here came this girls' basketball team that was talented, that had really, really nice girls. Tiana England, the star, is very, very charismatic and is just a really nice, likable person and not a cocky superstar. And everybody just rallied around this team. So I think uh, it was a really, really cool story in terms of what these girls accomplished from the basketball standpoint and what they did and what they meant to their school and to their community. Yeah, really, uh, and you could you could definitely sense that as you as you uh, and many others pointed out, really uh, uh, brought a tremendous following uh, up uh, up ninety five all the way from uh, from Fairfield County to Mohegan Sun, and really had a great turnout uh, for the championship game. Talking about the game uh, specifically, what sort of stood out to you as, as kind of the difference for uh, for Stanford? Obviously, as you said, facing a very good Greenwich team uh, that was also you know for all of the the athletic success that Greenwich High School is uh, is familiar with, the girls basketball team also making its first uh, championship game appearance. So what kind of jumped out at you as, as the difference just uh, in the game itself uh, for Stanford to come out with the win? Well, the first thing, I'm, the first three quarters were kind of ragged. And, you know, one thing that I think, uh, you know, the CIAC committee is going to have to look at, because I think it had an effect on the game, was the girls' basketball season starts a week earlier. And to have this fantastic tournament uh, going on at Mohegan Sun over two days. It takes a week of stretching out girls' state tournament games mm -hmm. to catch up to the guys, and these girls were off nine days, and you can practice, and you can do everything you can to try to keep a team sharp, but I think that layoff really was evident to me, as well as, obviously, you got to get used to playing in that environment. And then the fourth quarter, it was almost like, boom, the switch went off, and all the good things that had led both of these teams to the final just finally clicked in. They were trading baskets. It was a much more fluid game. I think Alexa Kellner was a big, big difference for Stanford because Tiana England was struggling with her shooting a little bit, and to her credit, didn't keep forking up shots but looked to do other things, including distribute the ball 
and was a big difference defensively with her steals. And Kellner stepped up and scored 19 points, and she had a close shooting start. And I think that was that was one big difference. Number two is the defense on Abby Wolf. Abby Wolf, a six-four center who's going to Northwestern. She, you look at her stat line, and she was six for six from the field, mm-hmm. which uh, is perfect. But she only got six shots off, and that was because they had 23 or 24 turnovers. I can't remember. So she wasn't getting as many looks, and Kellner did a really good job on on her. And uh, as great as Kiana England, just to kind of single out the two stars, uh, as, as great as she is and, and as good as it was to see her win, Abby Wolf is a tremendously classy person, a great kid, and uh, it uh, it was disappointing to see her end her career in a loss. It was kind of nice for FCX fans to know that a great team and, and a great superstar was going to get a win. But, you know, Stanford, both teams were struggling offensively, and I think Stanford just played a little bit better defensively. Yeah, no, certainly. And, and as you said, that fourth quarter was uh, was definitely spirited and uh, and, and was it was an excellent championship, excellent championship game uh, to, to kick off the action on Sunday. So uh, some other teams that you're uh, you're familiar with, it was a big weekend for uh, for some of your schools down at uh, a little farther south on 95 at Ingalls Rink in uh, in New Haven. You had uh, Darianne back in the championship game uh, in Division One. Uh, ice hockey. You had uh, several other teams. You had, uh, you know, the Fairfield Ward Ludlow uh, Co-op in the Division Two final, and then you had in Division Three West Hill Stamford. Uh, speaking again about Stamford uh, taking on the the Staples Weston Shelton uh, Co-op. So I know uh, a lot to cover there, but uh, and I know you're a little bit more of a hoop head than you are out on the ice with the hockey teams. But what were some of the some of the takeaways from those uh, those hockey finals as well, with some Fairfield County teams uh, enjoying a nice weekend? Yeah, I, keep, I mean, I try to keep tabs on everything. Uh, number one, Darianne, great story. They were number one in the state a good part of the year. Mm-hmm. They had a very, very disappointing loss in the FCX tournament in the semifinals to St. Joseph. They ran into a really, really hot goaltender. And I think the team looked at that break in between league and state playoffs and said, you know, we don't want to be known as the best team never to fill in a blank and you know, not even get to a, a one championship game. And they regrouped. They played really, really well. They did all the things that had made them the number one team in the state. Uh, had a great goaltending from David Voigt and just a lot of senior leadership from players like Jay Kirby who really stepped up. And they just had a, a great, great, great run through the state playoffs and beat a very, very hot Fairfield prep team in the championship game. And then it was kind of, it was nice to see two programs that don't get as much attention as uh, the big boys. Fairfield Co-op, uh, Fairfield's becoming more and more competitive each year in hockey. I mean, it's been a very nice program, but they're getting to the point where they're more competitive with the Darianne, the New Canaan's, the Greenwich's. And it was nice to see them have the run that they did and then it's very interesting, again, because I know Stanford pretty well. Uh, it's sort of been a little bit of a controversial issue just in terms of what's going on with hockey and Stanford wanting to keep. I know they really, really would have preferred not to have a co-op program just because they each te- obviously each school would like to have its own program. But they're trying to keep hockey alive and vibrant in the city 
where there's still been declining numbers, and you had uh, you know a new co-op team that uh, two two very very rival programs and rival schools that came together and played really well, and uh, and beat another FCX co-op team, a Staples team that also uh, like Stanford and, and like Fairfield have grown more competitive. So it's sort of an interesting dynamic with how the co-ops work in terms of. Obviously, you're drawing from from many more schools or one one or two schools as opposed to a single school. So you're drawing from a bigger talent pool, but there's not as many players, and that's the reason for doing it. So it's kind of interesting how uh, the growth of the co-ops has coincided with the success of the teams. But all in all, a very very good FCX season for hockey. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, with the as we said, uh, West Hill Stamford and and you pointed out two uh, two rivals that uh, that came together for a thrilling win in the, the Division Three, and then Fairfield Ward Ludlow winning in overtime, and then Darien uh, taking care of Fairfield Prep, who they lost to in the final two years ago. So a lot of uh, exciting action at uh, at Ingalls Rink over the weekend, and uh, and Dave was uh, was bouncing around the state covering it all, and we uh, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, to chat with us and keeping us up to date on uh, on everything that's happening down in. In that part of the state. We always appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure, Joel. Uh, always appreciate you having me on and always happy to be on when you need me. So great to hear from Dave and from all of our guests this week. Busy week of podcast. It was a busy week of championships, so we thank all of them for uh, everyone's kind of in decompressed mode, but they were all very willing and very uh, happy to join us. So we really appreciate people uh, during their their downtime, so, so to speak, as we head into the spring season, taking a few minutes to chat with us. So thank you to Lori Riley. Thank you to Joe Palladino. Thank you to Don Boyle. Thank you to Joe Morelli, and thank you to Dave Rudin. You can check out all of their great work all over the place. Lori Riley at the Hartford Current, Joe Palladino, Waterbury Republican American, Don Boyle. Check out the video on demand from all of the hockey championships. Don does an unbelievable job calling those games for the NFHS Network and CPTV Sports. Joe Morelli at the New Haven Register, Game Time CT, and Dave Rudin at therudinreport.com. So that is a very, very busy CIAC cast wrapping up a very, very busy week end of CIAC Winter Championships. We thank you so much for being with us. As always, CIACsports.com, Twitter, CIAC Sports, Facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. Email us at CIACcast at CASCIAC.org. So many C's in that email address. Once again, I am Joel Cookson. We are so thrilled that you joined us. So thrilled to get through that championship season, crown so many deserving champions. We will now start uh, turning our attention to the spring. We're going to be outdoors, going to be enjoying ourselves, and we hope you will be along for the ride as we come back yet again in a few weeks for another edition of the CIAC Cast. <laughs>